series through the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be starting in verse uh, 21 of chapter 5, and uh, there are so many uh, things that we bring into this text with the words that are used in this particular text as I was thinking about uh, this and meditating on this all week long. Um, one of the things is, as I was talking through it with Sarah, I was like, is there any way to, to read these words without sort of bringing all of our current baggage into it. And um, that's one of the ways I, I would challenge us all in, in the room, that the, these words originally given at the church in Ephesus were seen as extremely liberating um, and extremely beautiful. And, and so I, I want us to read it in that light, and uh, I'll give a lot of background before we jump into the text. But this is God's word to you today. Starting in verse 21, this is in the context of not getting drunk and giving thanks in worship. So the context is worship. Paul says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Uh, it's our practice here to spend some moments in silence before we engage with the text through preaching. And so um, what we're doing in that moment is asking the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, to illuminate Jesus to us in the words of Scripture and to make Scripture come alive in our hearts. So let's do that together. Lord, you've been so kind to bring us to this point uh, in, in this day and, and for us to experience that your mercies are new every single morning. Um, and as we think about the, the relationship between husbands and wives, I know that many of us um, have been, well, we live in a sinful world and we either um, are, are challenged by these words, are put off by these words, or some of us come to these, uh, this text and are just like, this is so beautiful. And so, Lord, wherever we're at uh, in our lives, that you would meet us and point us, uh, turn us to Jesus Christ. Let us see that this, this text is about him and our marriages are supposed to be about the gospel. Um, and so how we view marriage, how we think about uh, 
the husband and wife is all supposed to point to Jesus Christ. And so help us to do that by the Holy Spirit in Christ's name. Amen. So remember, we are in this section in Ephesians where Paul has been saying this is what it means to live out of union with Christ, or what it means to be a Christian. And Paul has been talking about all sorts of ways uh, and implications for the person who's united to Christ. So he talks about you know, sexuality and substances and worship. And now, and now he's going into family life. And next week he'll talk, or in the next uh, passage, he'll, he'll talk about work life. Um, but this passage today is primarily about the relationship between husbands and wives and what's that supposed to look like within the home. And already, even with us approaching the topic of marriage, that, that's going to bring up challenges. And some, some of those challenges are painful memories of maybe how you saw your parents interact or how you're seeing your parents interact currently. But Paul is saying that when you view marriage through the gospel lens, it is so profound that it's hardly describable in the way in which you can see the gospel. And it's no secret that within the church and outside the church, uh, the one of the most deepest sources of, of pain or love is, is coming directly from the environment in which you were raised in and how you saw your parents respond or not respond to each other in, in love or dysfunction. It dramatically affects, no matter who you talk to, your view of this dramatically affects how you move through the world, and it definitely affects how you view God. And what Paul is saying is that that is marriage's intended design. That a marriage is, its, its whole purpose is to point beyond itself to the way in which Jesus relates to the church. That it's a mirror, it's an, it's an arrow pointing to the gospel. And I'm convinced it's one of the, the greatest ways that Christians today can be uh, evangelists in our world to, to have this view that Paul uh, has of marriage. So this, this is how it can play out. I had a friend uh, who, who was a pastor who said that somebody in, in his ministry converted but didn't tell him, converted to Christianity but didn't tell him until years later. And uh, he, he got a phone call years later and, and she said, hey, I don't know if you know this, but I... I became a Christian under your ministry like five years ago. And he's like, oh, really? And so he was, he was thinking like, was it because of one of my sermons, you know, the way I excellently preached? And, and she said, no, it was um, one night my parents sat me down and told me that they were getting a divorce. And in that, in that moment, I really felt like my, my world was unraveling and that there was, there was no... No hope at all for stability within, within my own family in, in that moment. And she said, I, for some reason, I decided to go to a, a gathering to hear you preach. And before you got up to preach, uh, I noticed that you reached over and you held the hand of your wife. And uh, she said, that's when God began to unsettle me. Because she was moving into the world, about to go into hopelessness and cynicism. And then when she saw that, she's like, there, there's hope. That God uses, uh, marriage is a huge deal, is the point. Um, the way we think about marriage is cataclysmic to how we move through the world. The Bible always begins from this premise that it is, it is a mirror of the gospel. 
Now, uh, if we begin this passage in verse 21, which is where we should begin it, um, both spouses, the husband and the wife, are called to submit to Christ. Um, they, they should submit to one another out of reverence for, for Christ. And in some general sense, that means that both the male and the female roles within the marriage are rooted in submission to Jesus as our husband. So the church collectively takes on the feminine gender at the end of time where we become the bride of Christ. And I just want to say in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ himself is said to have submitted to God the Father within and of the Trinity. And Christ is equal to God. And therefore, submission cannot mean unequal. It can't mean that you're not on the same level playing field. Now, this, despite uh, all, all the things that we bring in, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into that word submission here in a little bit. But, you know, Kathy Keller, Kathy Keller says that both men and women find how their roles play out in marriage, both by looking to Jesus Christ and his submission and love to the Father. So Paul explains this, uh, and I want to set the passage up with another passage that Paul gives. In, in Philippians 2, Paul explains what, what uh, submission and love look like together. In Philippians 2.4, he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The night before Jesus died, uh, he embodied that text. When he sat around the table... And he had a robe on and he took it off and he got down on the ground near the feet of Middle Eastern men and he began to wash their feet. And then if that wasn't enough, he went and died for them the night before or the night after. And what what Paul is saying is that that's where you must start when you think about marriage. That that's what it means to, to have submission and love merged into the same person. One of the things that you have to understand about yourself, whether you're a man or woman, is that you are God's image in the world. That you are a reflection of God. That God is a tri-unity in and of himself. And, and we together, as man and woman, as one scholar puts it, it's like we're like glass and foil... And you can kind of see reflections in each of those. But when you put them together, it's a mirror. You can see God, meaning when you come together, you can see God with more clarity and vividness. Now, that doesn't mean that if you're divorced or single, that you can't see God and how you live. Paul himself was single as he's writing this. But that's the point that Paul's making is that when you come together, you can see a profound mystery of the gospel when man and wife come together. And so I want to look at I want to look at that under. These three points, I want to talk about celebrating the differences, celebrating the journey, and celebrating the mystery of marriage. And uh, I don't know if you guys remember back in the day in the 90s, I think it was Dennis Rodman. Remember he married himself um, when he played, he played for the Bulls. 
the, the first thing that you must recognize, and, and this is like a simple yet profound thing, you did not marry you. It's one of the main things that we get confused on when we first get married is that we, we think we married a clone. And the reason why is because when you date, you are only letting that person see the very, very best of you. And on top of that, you have the energy and the fascination to stay up all night and just let that person talk about what's going on in their heart. And it's just awesome because you're obsessed with that person. Um, and what that means is that a lot of times when we date, what we like about the person is that they just like us a lot. And if you get married, that goes away. <laughs> um, and you must begin to let the image, the real image of that person come into existence and your real image. And then you have an opportunity to really love each other. It's not like at the beginning that spark isn't necessarily love. It's just not as stable as what Paul is talking about here. In any healthy marriage, when this begins to happen, when the real person comes to the surface, uh, it, it's going to require forgiveness and constant and continual repentance. Um, because you formed an image of that person that, that you, uh, that's wrong. And you yourself are changing. Stanley Harwas said says, we never know whom we marry, we just think we do, or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a, a little while, he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it, that it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married to. What can sustain your marriage when you wake up one day and that person looks at you and you look at that person and you say, I'm not quite sure who you are anymore. Paul says it's, it's the gospel. And that when you entered it and you thought you knew who that person was, you're, you're lying to yourself. And that there's something beyond your, your uh, attraction to that person at the beginning that can sustain and withhold you within that marriage. Now, part of coming to this realization, and this is the section that, uh, well, we just got to be very, very careful here. Um, part of coming to the realization that you didn't marry you is that you have to come, come to the conclude that men and women are, are different. Um, we are different sexually. We're different in how we care for children. A lot of times we assess problems differently. We're emotionally different. But I do also want to be clear and notice what the Bible does not say. In the wisdom of the scriptures, it, it, does, not, it does not define masculinity or femininity. Much of uh, what I've experienced within the church is that much of the conservative approach to marriage and family actually adds to Scripture. Like they say, they say things that aren't actually there. And so there's all this stuff about how a woman or man should operate within the marriage that actually isn't biblical. And the liberal approach tends to just throw the whole concept out and say, we, you know, we don't even need this. And this is what the gospel approach says. 
Yes, it is binding. It's, uh, it's permanent. And there are differences with what's called for from men and women within the marriage. But marriage is the most liberating, confining human relationship there is. And the reason why it's liberating and confining is because of grace. Because of grace of the Lord Jesus allows you to celebrate the fact that you're different, to figure things out along the way. In marriage, uh, you each have this great privilege to look at your spouse and say, how can I put your needs before me? It's not me as an individual getting my needs met through the marriage, but it's you saying, how do I put myself behind you and serve you? And the Christian approach to the most intimate human relationship is for that individual to take the back seat. And Paul gives two commands here uh, for the wife and the husband. And the first, he says, wives, you're called to submit to your husband as to the Lord. Verse 22. That did not say that all women should submit to all men. It says wives submit to husbands. This is a very confined command. And if you thought that was hard, it says husbands are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Verse 25. How did Christ love the church? He died. Now, why are these distinctions important? Why are these differences important? Well, Eve, in, back in Genesis 3, part of the curse placed on women by God was that women's desire was going to be for their husband. Eve represented all women throughout all time. Women's desire was going to be for their husband, but he was going to rule over them. And I don't have time to get into what all that means, but what, the reason why I bring that out is because part of what Ephesians is saying is connected to that curse. Meaning, you are not going to want to submit to your husband at all times. Because you are going to know that that man does not have your best interest in mind at all times. But here's how this is possible. You are to submit to him as unto the Lord, is what the text says. That when you submit to your flawed husband, you're really submitting to the Jesus behind your flawed husband. Now, what does the word submit mean? Uh, It does not mean that you must obey your husband if he's enticing you to sin. Nor does it mean that you are exempt from submitting to your husband if he does sin, which he will. In some sense, no husband uh, is worthy of a wife's submission. But here's as best as I can understand it. I meditated on it this week, processed it with Sarah. And and I think I think this is what submission means. Um, Getting into the hardest and most challenging and hidden tasks with your husband and telling him, I am in this with you. I'm in it. Neck deep with you, down in the dirt. And I'm going to be your partner in battle in whatever you face. Um, Joe Joe Novenson, pastor in Chattanooga, said that when he was dating his now wife, the very first date, he had to call up and cancel 
because the basement of his home uh, flooded with sewage water. Josh has helped me with that. <laughs> um, and so he calls her and he says, hey, I, like, I can't make it. I can't make it to, uh, to the date. And, and he said 10 minutes later, she shows up on his doorstep with a bucket and gloves and goes down into the basement and, and helps. And he said, the whole time I was thinking, I have to marry her. I have to. Um, you know, when we hear the word submit, it can't, it can't mean unequal. But I think a lot of times we hear the word submit and we immediately think weakness. And I think that's in some sense the, the opposite. I think it's meekness. It's hidden strength. Like what Jesus did in Philippians 2. He divested himself of his glory for the sake of love. He emptied himself. Um, that's the church's role. You know, the, the church is the wife in this. The church is, are, the, are supposed to be the meek ones of this world. Hidden strength. Because we know we're going to win because we have Christ as our husband. Now, uh, this does not mean that there's not room for men to submit in a marriage. This just simply means this is where wives really show the image of God. This is where we can really see the beauty of who God is through a woman. And that's why Paul draws attention to it. What about men? It says a lot more to men than it does to women in this text. Um, husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? This is what love looks like. Verse 25, he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus beautifies. I want you to begin to imagine like Paul thinks. Jesus beautifies the church merely by being present with her. That when people get close to Jesus, it's like they become more solid, more lasting, more eternal, more crisp. When we get older here in this world, what happens? We fade. Some think our, be our, our beauty fades. This is how Paul thinks. In the new creation, the longer you're with Jesus, the more beautiful and young you get, the more eternal you get. This is what this practically means in a marriage for husbands and wives. Um, husbands, you are to be about the glory of your wife through sacrificially giving your life for her constantly. A husband is most manly when he assumes the duty of a sacrificial servant with his wife. Our culture, men, tells us that we should dominate, that we should demand subjugate, you know, like anytime a husband comes and says, my, my wife doesn't respect me, he's like, well, you've already lost. Um, you can't demand submission. But our culture tells us that men, men are called to win. Um, and that's not what Paul says here in this text. Paul says, uh, Maybe that's true in the secular world, but within the home and within the marriage, 
this is what it means to be a husband, that you say, Lord, my allegiance is to you first. And secondly, I am permanently and completely devoted to this woman. And if it comes down to it, I would lay down my life for her. And my desires within my home come last. I come last. Husbands, you know this. What does your wife need most of all from you? You. Like they want you to show up with your heart. Being a husband is to be so attuned to your wife that she feels cleansed in your presence. How, how do you do that? You have to know the word of God so much that when you move towards your wife, she feels blessed by you. You bless your wife through the word is what the text says. It's being present when you're actually present at home. It's uh, in doing the dishes. As my mother says, it's about, it's about the little things, Matthew. That's what she says. But it's in the stuff. You guys know this if you're a husband. It's in, it's in the stuff that it's so hard to do that are tiny and unseen. And women, if you're single and you're thinking about marriage, um, you want a man to intentionally move towards you risking something. Uh, If you're not willing to wait on that, you're going to settle for guys that aren't interested in you ultimately. If they won't risk anything for you, and what's going to happen if you marry somebody like that is your marriage is going to feel hollow and disconnected. But when a husband is as attentive to his wife as he is to his own body, nourishing and cherishing his own body. And I know some of you in here, you have cared for your spouses like they are your own body. And people see the gospel through that. If you've watched one of your spouses go to their death, that's what you have to do. And that's what, what, what real love looks like, eternal love. And the reason why that, that resonates with us is because we're encoded as human beings to be drawn to that, to, to see God through that. We, we got to celebrate the differences um, through knowing that we didn't marry a clone and through this submission and love that the scriptures call us to. Uh, the... The second point is to celebrate the journey. Look at verses 28 through 31. It says, in, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of the body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. When you get married to somebody, everything changes. There's no longer... Uh, Two fleshes, there's one flesh. Um, And what that means is that in God's eyes, your story of who you are has restarted in some ways. So like, for instance, when I married Drew and Mandy, um, you know, God sees them, even though they may not feel like this, but God sees them as Drandy, you know, like they are not one, but are not two, but, but one. Um, And I just want you to imagine, again, think like Paul thinks and how he's describing how a man should love his wife. That means that like your eyes don't belong to you anymore. Like you're seeing the world through Mandy now. 
Um, your thought process is not yours anymore. The way you use your body, the way you use substances, what you look at, what you don't look at, all your flaws are now merged with this other person. Like this, this was a big wake up call for me when I, when I got married, because I'd be like, you know, after church, I'd be like, all right, uh, I'm, I'm thinking like a single, I'm thinking like Matt, not like Mara. And, and so like, I'm like, let's go get lunch for $120 a person. And Sarah's like, no, uh, we're not going to do that. Like, and I, I just forgot that I needed to run that by her. But part of becoming a, a unified entity is, is beginning to form your own traditions and to solve problems with that person as one flesh. That's why Paul quotes from Genesis. He says, a man shall leave his father and mother... And uh, hold fast to his wife. What, what does it mean to leave and cleave? Uh, this means that you are not bound by your parents, first and, foremost, first and foremost, to do what they say when you get married. Uh, you're bound by your spouse, that they get priority. Now, um, in our culture, this happens in a, in a small way when parents become empty nesters. Uh, or as Dan Allender likes to call it, uh, the haunted nest. But this is, and uh, for those of you who are approaching that phase of life, I saw this again and again in, in campus ministry, but you need to pay attention to this in your own life. Um, when parents put all of their time and energy and love into their children, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, that's, that's a good, valuable thing to love your children. But when it, when it becomes over, your love for your spouse. What begins to happen is that you become too attached to your children to the neglect of your own marriage and parents are going to look up one day and say, the only thing that was holding us together was our children. And, and we used our love for our children as a distraction to do the more important work of loving each other. Um, I saw that again and again, uh, personally in my own family, but then again, like in, in college ministry, you have to love your spouse more than you love your children. There's a hierarchy. That's going to help them leave and cleave if they ever get married. But it's also going to help you sustain your own marriage. And I guarantee you the best way to love your children is that you love your spouse really, really well. That they need to see that love and when they see that love, they will see the gospel. That's what they need most of all from you. Now, I understand that I am, am younger and I, I haven't had an empty nest yet. But the way you get through these transitions, as I, as, as I observe the church, is that you're, it, you have to embrace one another to withstand those transitions. And they're hard. There's a death that happens um, when you leave and cleave and you see somebody leave and cleave. But that, that allows you to embrace one another. That allows you to celebrate the journey. Uh, and then finally, we celebrate the mystery. The mystery here is that marriage uh, points us to, to Christ in the church. And I want, I want you to begin to think about what, what happens in your marriage when you do fail. What happens when you don't act like one flesh, when you lust after another person, when you lust after another life, or you continually hurt your spouse with your words, are the, the way you use your body, are the, the ways you don't use your body. Well, in the Christian marriage, this is the framework, um, that's an opportunity to forgive. 
That's an opportunity to, to show grace. And Paul has been saying this all along. Uh, human beings don't live out the gospel in isolation. We live it out in community. And it's the same in marriage that the gospel sustains and is the purpose for your marriage. Because within marriage, all that sin that you brought into it must get dealt with. Like if you're single, you can get away with things that aren't as drastic than if you were married and committing the same sin. There are certain sins that if you commit those sins within a marriage, it is just devastating to a marriage. And so there, there's a heightened sense of responsibility when you get inside a marriage. And what you have in a marriage is this continual recipe for gospel renewal where you say, I have totally messed up and I need your grace. Um, I, I need your forgiveness and you need to extend forgiveness constantly within a marriage for it to, to hold together, for it to sustain and what happens is if you have years and years and years of that experience with another person, you can move through the world with poise because they constantly gave you Jesus and you constantly received Jesus from another person. And so forgiveness becomes sort of the covenant uh, renewal and the glue that holds marriage together. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to end with this. My counseling professor Paul Tripp, uh, in his marriage book, he, he defines love like this. He says, love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. That that's the foundation. Uh, that's very foreign to us. The mystery of how Christ loves us is that he did everything in his life for our good without us loving him back and without us deserving his affection. Now, the measure at which you believe that will be the measure of love you show to your spouse. Again, this, uh, this doesn't mean that you can't reflect God as a single person, as a divorced person, as a widow. Um, but we are to see within, within Paul's framework of marriage the very clarity of the gospel. It will be the measure at which, once you see it, it will be the measure at which you can celebrate the differences, the journey, and the mystery of marriage. So let's pray. We're going to continue to worship through the confession of sin, and then we will come to this table. Father, we thank you for the ways in which you've loved the church, and we ask that we would take our lead from you. Um, we thank you for everything in this passage, Lord, um, and help us to
Love because you first loved us We wanna love 